Hello, and welcome to the ArborPod Detective Dendro series. Today's guest is Kate Leifheit and Guy Mayer. In the case of the poignant Picea, the podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. My eyes widened, showing the reflection of the luscious green foliage, contrasted against the snowy mountains in the distance. We had finally made it. We were in Switzerland, and in our line of sight were the verdant European Alps. Code it, stop staring at my face, I grumbled and pushed past him to hike upwards into the mountains. The range covers more than two-thirds of Switzerland's land surface at an average altitude of 5,576 feet, 1,700 meters. Layered beside one another are more than 48 separate mountains. Sorry, I was just amazed at the sight of you drooling. I thought people only did that in response to food. Kodit sniggered and scampered to catch up. We were meeting a tour group to view the thousands of Norway spruce, Picea abies. It was a perfect time of year, a week before Christmas, and we had the chance to view the most beautiful habitat where the Picea abies species, commonly used for Christmas trees, established their roots. A couple of hours later, we spotted a small group of people standing near the base of the mountain. I had hoped to see the highest mountain in Switzerland, the Dufourspitze in Canton Valias, at 15,203 feet, 4,634 meters, but that was not on the itinerary today. As we were walking, a woman in a bright green pea coat tossed her long auburn hair over her shoulder. Her green eyes vibrantly sparkled in the high sun, and my feet stopped. I had to consciously tell my right foot to take a step forward, and then my left to get moving again. The tour guide cleared his throat. Now that we are all here and accounted for, we can get started. My name is Richie Ramnus, and I will be the savvy scout leading you away today. Hi, my name is Hip Hershey. A smooth, light voice floated from beside me. The girl in the green pea coat extended her hand. I'm Dendro, I said, before turning my face 45 degrees and leaning slightly towards her. My name is Kodit. My assistant jumped over and stole her soft hand from my grasp. I looked at him with wide eyes before furrowing my eyebrows, stuffing my hands in the pockets of my jacket, and turning my attention towards the tour. I'm going to enjoy these majestic mountains, I told myself. The Alps span 125 miles, 200 kilometers, Richie said. The climate models for the European Alps show that there has been an increase in precipitation compared to data collected in the past. More snow at high elevations and rain at lower elevations. This is changing the growth patterns of the plants. Is that why all these spruces are looking so dreary? Hip asked, her voice soft and concerned. I scanned my surroundings. There were quite a few wind-thrown Picea abies, and some had broken branches. It looked like an old battlefield. Some still stood tall, but were browning in sections, and a lot of needles were scattered on the ground. Quite peculiar, Coded, I said, taking a deep breath while observing our surroundings. Times are changing, Dendro. Did you not hear about the change in precipitation? They must be going through some moisture stress and can't handle the fluctuation. Coded confidently babbled, bouncing side to side and moving forward. But if, as the tour guide says, the precipitation has increased in these well-drained soils, the spruces should do better, not worse, I corrected. The tour guide interjected, his solemn voice introduces a historic tale. On December 26, 1999, a low-pressure system brought a violent extratropical cyclone named Lothar into the temperate latitudes here in the Alps, and through Central Europe. This system was packing winds over 124 miles per hour, 200 kilometers, in some areas, 
In Switzerland alone, the storm destroyed more than 10 million trees. Over 10 years later, we still see the damage. The Martin storm followed soon after. Its heavy snowfall triggered many avalanches. The heaviness of the history made the group look around in shock and awe at the immense damage. I crouched down next to a browning Picea abies and ran my finger through some wood dust adorning the base. Why does that bark look blue? The lovely Miss Hershey pointed, the pungent scent of her perfume wafting up my nostrils. Is that a sign of disease? The rest of me was shivering from the cold, but I felt my heart melt at the sound of her inquisitive voice. Was Richie Ramnus telling the whole story? Why hasn't this forest recovered? These trees may have the blues in places we cannot see. First, let's examine what we can see. I flicked the granular tan dust off my fingers and watched it drift back to the earth. My eyes searched from the base of the trunk to the apical tip of the tree. Small holes, about two to three millimeters wide, perforated the tree. I pulled off a piece of dead bark, revealing some striking patterns carved into the surface of the wood. Longitudinal grooves were cut in line with the wood grain and shallower grooves radiated outward from these central chambers. Hershey gasped, her beautiful eyes searching for more grooves. The storms may have taken a lot out of these trees, I said, but its damage also exposed the forest to more powerful natural forces. The tour group turned their heads as one. What could be more powerful than an extratropical storm that annihilated ten million trees? Hershey asked. The pattern of the tunnels in this tree and the boring dust on the ground are evidence of bark beetles, particularly Ipsis typographus, the European spruce bark beetle, I said. Adult beetles burrow these central tunnels in the phlegm layer of a tree for the purpose of laying eggs or ovipositing. Vascular elements from coniferous trees are called tracheids. Strands of cellulose and hemicellulose are linked by molecules arranged in a series of layers having different angles relative to the fiber direction and are fused together in microscopic crystalline domains. The thickest of these layers, the S2 sublayer, has a fibral angle almost lined up with the fiber, and this accounts for the high dimensional stability of both fibers and wood in the length direction. Hershey rubbed her thumb across the ridges, auburn eyebrows knitted, deep in the drama of the tails in the tree. So, she inquired, the female is nearing the end of her life cycle and follows the path of least resistance between these ridges of hard fiber that make up the grain of the wood? Exactly. I smiled with admiration. The larvae hatch and burrow laterally, disrupting the transportation of sugars and amino acids, which interfere with vital processes like root development and needle growth. But that's not all. These beetles also carry a fungus, Ophiostoma species, which stains the wood blue. The blue-stained fungus prevents the production and further blocks the flow of resin, which in a healthy tree is used to battle bark beetles by pitching them out of the very holes they made entering the tree. Pitch tubes look like popcorn, Coded interjected, stepping forward to catch Hershey's eye. They are signs of, of beetle attack, when the resin is not blocked by fungus. We have other species of Ips beetles native to the U.S. in the boreal forests of North America. Ips typographus is an exotic invader. By using their sense of smell, bark beetles are attracted to weakened and stressed trees. Correct. And after this storm, it was like a feast, I continued. 
The scent of sap was strong in the air after the trees were broken. Speaking of invaders, I eyed my apprentice's guts. The beetles moved in, and their population exploded. For recently infested areas near roads, up to 93% of the beetles in timber can be killed if the bark is removed, and then the timber can be salvaged. This fungus does not degrade wood quality, but some mills are still not eager to take stained logs. It's now about protecting the rest of the forest. Beetles in flight can be trapped, but this strategy is difficult on a large scale. So, what can we do to protect these trees and help this forest flourish? Hip asked. Her voice sounded determined, as if she were standing up against some kind of injustice. The melancholic story about mayhem in the mountains was but the beginning of a longer tale. The tale about an infiltrating and intricate battle. Who or what can overcome the invasion of all these bark beetles? The group was stone silent. Her plea seemed to echo among the cliffs around us. I couldn't help but offer some encouraging words. Populations rise and populations fall, I noted. The bark beetles have always been here, but so have their predators. Diseases of the pests, such as viruses, can exert control. Predators attack from the outside. One clarid beetle larva can consume 50 Ips beetles by sight, vibration, heat, touch, and smell, and then lay their eggs inside them where they hatch and feed. These insects often require alternate habitat and food sources such as pollen and nectar. So retaining and culturing these beautiful wildflower meadows around the forest is part of the plan. There was silence. Who or what will overcome these invading bark beetles? Isn't this a reason why we strive for a diverse selection of trees and their associates in our urban environments? Coded broke the silence. Why, yes, Coded, that's a great point, I said. We want to keep Mother Nature's hit squad on our team, and a diverse population of trees helps prevent pandemics like this. When one tree species is attacked by pests, especially a sinister symbiosis of fungi and insects, the other tree species in the area also help balance the environment by providing other natural resources and natural predators. Now, should we make the activities of this tour a little more diverse? Coded asked, bending down and scooping some slushy snow with his hands and molding it into a sphere. Snowball fight! Hip yelled and propelled an alpine projectile that rocketed into the center of my chest. I charged and tackled her into the snow. She fell down laughing, the snow framing her smiling face. Today was a good day to spend some time in the mountains. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Arbor Pod, Detective Dendro series. You can earn CEUs for this podcast. Just log in at the ISA shop and click on online CEU quizzes. Tune in next month for a brand new Detective Dendro. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arbor Culture.